0: To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tourpreneur. I'm Mitch Bach, and today I have a guest who has had an extraordinary amount of experience in the tourism industry. His name is Matt Newton and Matt has been around the block, especially in our segment of tourism activities. Today, he is a tour operator with his wife running Patch Adventures down in Australia, but he started back in the day founding Tourism Tiger, which is the web design agency many of you know. They have designed countless websites for tour operators and He has also worked as a marketer at Peak Pro and has done all sorts of work in other agencies and companies. Along the way, his insights are absolutely invaluable in not only the world of tours at large, but also specifically multi-day tours, which is where he devotes his time now. Matt Newton, it's a pleasure to have you on Tourpreneur. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here for the first time. Matt, I think there's a lot of people that know you by reputation. You've been around the business for a long time. And beyond that, you've also written and created some resources that many people use today that might not even remember or know that it's you. I'd love if you could just start by giving us a really quick rundown of the history of Matt Newton and tourism.
1: Yeah, so let's see if I can give you the 60 second version. I, uh, my my first job in marketing was for Australia's um, at the time largest online marketing agency. And this was back around 2010. Uh, and they gave me the tourism and hospitality portfolio. And I used that to then start my own SEO agency that focused on tourism and hospitality. Did that for a while. And I learned a lot about how websites worked. Um, and I learned, ex- it was kind of like being inside the matrix. Right, because you have the analytics access to the analytics, dozens of companies, you can see exactly what's working. So I decided to start Tourism Tiger, and where I put together all those lessons and put them into web design for tour and activity operators. So I did that for a while, um, and very early on in the days of Tourism Tiger, I wrote the book Sell More Tours, which is which is a collector's item now, Mitch, because it is not for sale anymore on Amazon. I took it down once um, Chris once Chris Torres published his um, opus um his masterpiece I I, look, I took one look at that and I'm like yep more Tours is, has <laughs> had enough time in the sunlight it's time to let others take the take the pathway forward so I just I took it off Amazon um I don't know what the collector's a lot of the collector's items are, are selling for but you know uh we'll see you can find them on the Tourpreneur <laughs> store for right $75 now I think that's a good day <laughs> yeah. yeah it might it may well be and uh and uh, after quite a few years of doing Tourism Tiger, uh, we, moved, we moved to Australia. Uh, and I decided to leave the business in the extremely capable hands of the people who run it now. Um, and my wife is actually a client now of Tourism Tiger. She paid Tourism Tiger to build a website for her, uh, which can, we can talk about maybe in a second. But she's uh, really stoked. And uh, I moved on to work for Peak Pro uh, for a couple of years, as many people might know. And then COVID came around. I finished up at Peak Pro and uh, here I am today. So Matt, you've
0: named reservation technology, website, SEO, marketing. You have touched over the course of your career, everything that your average tour operator is mildly to massively terrified of.
1: (laughs) Right. And, uh, and. Obviously my wife has that, has Patch Adventures, which is the, which is a tour company. So, um, I feel like we've, between us, we've touched every single aspect of the industry. Um, besides maybe starting our own association or something like that. We haven't gotten, we haven't gotten that far, but I think you guys will be able to handle it if you want to take that, that mission on board. I was going to say, if you want to become Australia's chapter leader.
0: So (laughs) I actually, I actually want to start with Australia. I don't think we mentioned yet that you are Australian, you live in Australia and right. i would love to hear from you just about your experience of what tourism activities as a market and as a landscape looks like down in your part of the earth
1: so australia the market is interesting it's it is quite functionally it's quite similar to the united states in the sense of you see Uh, OTA bookings especially via tour uh, being something that's quite important for uh, people who are local day tour and activity operators Uh, the international market is quite important because compared to say the United States or UK you just have a a lower volume of people who are even available to become a domestic visitor right so um, people coming through um, Australia are a pretty critical market when it comes to day tour and activity operators Um, out of Melbourne, Sydney and so on and so forth but um, one thing is that the Australian market is really big on multi-day, um, especially internal multi-day and also outbound multi-day. I would say I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if Australia is the number one multi-day market in the world on a per capita basis. I would not be surprised. Um, Australians tend to book a lot of multi-day travel. And part of the reason is they get way more holidays than the average American worker but it's not just that right because spain also gets way more holidays and they don't go anywhere on average so there's 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 quite a few factors but uh but that's probably the big thing that differentiates the australian market from say the us market and are these multi-day customers going
0: anywhere specific is it sort of a trip to Indonesia to uh, Japan? Or do you find that uh, those types of holidays align with long haul flights to Europe over multiple weeks? What what yeah. do those trips look like?
1: So, Australia's geography is, is part of why multi-day is such a big thing. It's because if you're gonna get on a, a plane for five hours, you need to justify it, right? And that's part of the reason why you can probably say New Zealand is a very high multi-day, um, uh, a big multi-day market as well. So, basically, the further they travel from Australia, the longer the trip is going to be, on average. Travel, it's about 30 hours to get to Europe. So, it's pretty rare for an Australian to go for a one week to Europe. They're going to go for two, three, four weeks. If you go to Asia, it's going to be for seven, ten days. Um, In terms of uh, themes within Australia, like active travel, um, walking, all that stuff. Like, walking is a huge theme everywhere. But um, active travel, um, niche-based travel as well, um, in terms of female, vegan, uh, painting, photography, all all the sorts of stuff that is showing up in trends reports anyway, like you would say that Australia is on the leading edge in terms of the uptake amongst consumers. I remember
0: in my days working as a tour manager in the United States, I worked for a company that had inbound Australian customers who would come over and they would chain together three, four, five separate multi-day tours
1: to create an entire path across the united states and canada in one journey that's interesting actually uh with my wife's business she has seen the exact same trend chaining is a real thing so she has a 24-day tour of the silk road and uh people are chaining another tour on top of that on top of a 24-day tour and she's got um a chain of tours that she set up next year in terms of dates and pretty much all the customers signing up to one of these tours are signing up to at least two. So, yeah, Chinese is a big theme.
0: And what this company did that i worked for, they essentially modularized the United States so that <laughs> there was a route that you could go through everything through the through Quebec back in Canada and the Canadian Maritimes and the United yeah. States national parks, but there were quote-unquote tour starts along the way that you could join in. And so yeah everybody wasn't joining at the same spot you'd have some right. that would leave some that would arrive
1: a really interesting model that's an yeah that's an ingenious idea and I think if you if you do any solo sort of, any form of multi-day it's something you should consider um just and and the way you do that uh there's a couple of specific principles that you you'd probably be aware of mitch but one of them is obviously aligning dates in such a way that's really easy for people to align one to the other um, another thing is helping reduce the friction from getting one trip to another so even if your tour company can't sell the flight between the two destinations, let's just say, like you have you got one tour ends 500 kilometers away from the next one, where the next one starts, you can still align them in terms of dates and put two days between the two, and say, okay, we're going to cover all your airport transfers, we're going to cover all your accommodation, we're going to cover, we're going to have someone waiting for you at the airport, and just have a really really smooth, friction free experience, even if the chaining doesn't even happen in the same country.
0: Let's talk for a moment about that Mm -hmm. word, friction. But I want to talk about it in in a little bit more of a a marketing or a sales term. Booking friction, I think, is Mm -hmm. a big thing with a multi-day tour customer. You worked for a peak, and we'll get to the day tour world in a little bit. But on the multi-day level, you have a customer that is often making many visits to your website, many phone Mm -hmm. calls to you, and maybe filling out an inquiry form. But I'm wondering what you've learned from your experience uh in everything from website design and SEO to now your wife running a multi day tour company about trying to create a booking experience that a that that lures in the customer that doesn't put up those friction barriers that we often see
1: so this is interesting because Chris Torres has been preaching this, and I agree sometimes friction barriers can be a good thing, right so uh if we take a completely, uh, an example way out of the tour sector, let's just say you're a surgeon, right? And you, and you, are, you are, you just offer brain surgery for free or brain surgery for anyone who wants it. Fill out my inline, online form and walk in and you can have a surgery today, right? <laughs> Clearly you want to add a bit of friction there because the brain surgeon actually needs to diagnose the problem, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but coming back to, to travel, sometimes adding a bit of friction will, yes, it will reduce in the immediate short term, the total volume of bookings that you may get, but it will dramatically increase the quality of the customer that you get. Um, and so I think this is something that really took us by surprise a little bit when it came to Rebecca's tour Company, in a sense that the, the customers that want the communication, that lean in to having the phone call before booking, all that sort of stuff, those are the ones that... Uh, the easier ones all the way through so they're the ones that you can get their customer details easily if you need to reach out to make a change they're the ones that respond if you need a review at the end of the trip they're the ones that are leaving the review um they're the ones that are really enthusiastically recommending you to other friends and obviously review uh there's three there's there's uh i call the three r's of multi-day which is repeat review refer so you and this is the way a multi-day company can grow its business without dumping tons of money on marketing every like week in, week out by maximizing the lifetime value of their of their bookings. And so repeating, review, getting the review, which obviously increases your online presence and, re- and reduces the amount of friction to get their future bookings, and referring their friends. You get those three, you, you're in a good place. And what we found is the, the customers that who lean into that are the ones that, on the other end, uh, max out on your, on your three R's. In this world
0: of multi-day and sort of your wife's customers uh as you're as you're looking at i think acquiring them or or connecting with them what for you has been the effective way of finding customers that aren't friends and family which in my experience is the way that a lot of uh uh, small multi-day operators that i've worked
1: with have begun social media marketing um, both organic and paid has been something that's been really critical. And I've been able to help Rebecca because that's my side. So every now and then I'll just come in and help her for a few hours and do a bit of work on that. Uh, but there's a, there's, in a broader sense, there's probably a, a paradigm that people need to understand. And that is you've got your, all, all good marketing doesn't matter whether it's tourism, selling cola, selling whatever, involves the ability to get in front of someone and the ability to stay in front of someone because er, nearly everyone goes through a passive consideration phase where they're kind of warming up to the idea of buying your kind of service or they're just not ready to buy or whatever. Um, so the, the ability to get an eyeball is it's a really, borderline gruesome, gruesome way of describing it, but the ability to get in front of someone using a Facebook ad or a Google ad and is really nice, but you have to have the ability to stay in front of people consistently as well to get the booking. And that involves either retargeting, organic social or uh, email marketing. Those are the, the three classic channels when it comes to marketing um, multi- to, to consumers. And so you have to really have um, both aspects nailed in order to be able to sell a trip.
0: What are you thinking about when you're trying to nurture that relationship, especially in that more passive phase? Are you sending out the occasional email, is it personalized because your customer base is small? Are you doing regular email
1: marketing? What, what, what does that look like on a practical level? So I think one thing I've learned is there is a certain, there's a, well, there's almost an infinite level of complexity that you can apply to the marketing. You can go crazy with your tagging and your personalization of emails. But if you're really nailing every other aspect of your marketing, you don't actually have to go too crazy on on this stuff so if you're if your itineraries are extremely well written um not just from the perspective of making the trip sound cool but covering off all the potential objections and really helping people put themselves in the movie of the of the, and see themselves there um if you start with that and then and and uh, use that as a base then you shouldn't have too much friction in 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 your own marketing in terms of turning people into bookings. So the nurturing basically looks uh, a bit like uh, a bit of email marketing and then um, good organic social. Uh, So what that means is not constantly just promoting, promoting, promoting. It's mostly just, you know, here's something interesting that's happening in the company today or here's my thought about this thing or here's this recent restriction that's been announced. What do you think? Just the kind of stuff that you actually put on your own social media, if that makes sense. And then the paid, so the paid retargeting is a bit more promo-y. But even then, a lot of it is just, um, it's not in your face. It's it's a bit, it's a bit, I'll just give you one example. So one thing that really worked um, extremely well has been to highlight one day of the trip. So retarget and say on day five, you'll be doing this and have a photo about that and just give a bit of detail about one exact thing that will happen. And that's it. Not even say there's three foot surf, not even say the price. Not even include a link back to the website. It's just that. And so having a reasonable mix of non-shouty, non-in-your-face marketing has been actually really key for Rebecca to build trust with her audience. And then once the trip actually is selling out, then she starts to be like, oh, there's five spots left. You might want to get on this. And people respond to that because they've already had all of this initial desire building that has been part of the itinerary, part of the retargeting, et cetera.
0: You know, I think that's a fantastic point because it goes back to my obsession, which is always storytelling and the way it expresses itself in all of these different contexts. And for me, I think about storytelling in terms of tour guides a lot. But in terms of marketing, there's a term that we use, which is a knowledge gap, which is basically you hook an audience, you hook hook somebody, whether they're viewing an ad or they're viewing. Or they're listening to you share a story because they don't know everything yet, and so they're dreaming and they want more. And I love the idea of sharing just a day, or just a just a teaser of a moment on the tour, so that they can they want more. They want to click through and see more moments. They want to learn more and and fill in the gaps for a little bit with their dreams.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And one thing that, as as a general principle. You're working in a hypothetical when you're selling your trip. So if you've got someone there on the ground, you can tell the stories. You've got the buildings right there. You can, I remember one of your famous examples, Mitch, you walk around the corner and there's the Eiffel Tower or there's the Arc de Triomphe or whatever it was. But um, six months out from a trip, you're, you're working with pure hypotheticals. So if you're talking about 12 days in Morocco, that's a hypothetical. That's an abstract concept. I'm going to spend 12 days in this country called Morocco. What you need to do is give them something where they're in the scene with you. And if you can do that, that really creates the emotions that then lead to them starting to paint themselves into that scene. Speaking of emotions, you
0: started Tourism Tiger to address something that an operator has a lot of emotions around, which is websites. Chris. Um, it, it, it often. Boggles my mind, the amount of energy and frustration and, I guess, obsession that people have about their website, some people, some operators, in the community. Others throw up a website in a few minutes and say, "I'm done. I believe there's got to be some sort of truth in the middle where it doesn't take up <laughs> all of the oxygen in your uh, in 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 your brain, but at the same time that there's there's some basic principles that you're following that every operator's website should follow. And I'm wondering if you could tell me about some of the things you've learned, not only from working with thousands of operators and building their websites, but just in your own, in your own thinking about what, what an effective website should be doing for an operator. Wow. That's a, that's a big question.
1: You have, uh, you have three, you have three minutes. <laughs> so the, the first thing that a website should do is obviously help people get to the goal. Um, help, them get, help them with the task that they have that they're actually trying to perform. So it could be uh, they're trying to compare five different excursions that day and they're trying to figure out who's actually available. When I went on my honeymoon, we tried to take, uh, we wanted to do a catamaran trip of Santorini, right? And just trying to figure out who was available that day. I, I wanted to throw my phone out the window. It was so hard because you have to go you have to go all the way into a website. You click on an individual trip, Are oh, they're not available that day. You go to the next trip, that trip's also not running. Which trip is running today, guys? Right? Like you have to think from the purposes of visitor. you're not the only website that's being looked at, especially when it comes to day to one activities. They're not, they're trying to quickly get that calendar filled up, especially if it's just them or a partner. If they're looking at your groups, yeah, sure, you got a bit more time for them to really assess your website, go through your stuff. So the first thing is, yes, understanding the exact mentality that people are bringing in and making sure you can help them get the information and ask the questions that they need um, rapidly the second thing um, obviously imagery but that's well covered I think the third thing that is probably underdone is that how important writing is you take you take I you know tour operators who sell expensive trips with barely any photos I don't know anyone who sells trips without writing um, so effective writing is really critical not just not just in terms of selling but in terms of addressing objections and uh, I'll I could just go on forever but I'll cover one more point you don't have to and this is one of my favorite one of my favorite things that I've always talked about on podcast for years but you don't have to just answer questions with text so Many companies, one of the most common questions they get, or one of the most common questions on on people's mind is, will I fit in? Especially multi-day, especially action adventure sort of tours. Will I fit in? Will I be fit enough? If you show photos of people who are, like if you're running a kayaking tour, and every single photo is of someone who's buff, six-packs, extremely fit, you're creating an image where people are like, oh, well, actually, I won't be welcome on that tour, because I won't keep up. So what you need to probably do is show the photos of the people who are borderline, right? The, the, the everyday average people who who can who can join, and then people, are like, oh yeah, you know what? I reckon I could I could kayak along along alongside that guy, I'll be fine. And so um, you can use text to talk about average age of guests and blah blah blah, but you can also use photos to answer people's questions and concerns in a way that is actually a lot quicker than having them read through reams of text. That's brilliant. I love your
0: emphasis on writing or copywriting. I wonder if we could get a little more granular with that because I've seen a variety of, let's say, hero texts. You've got a fantastic image. And then I see text all over the place up there. Sometimes it might just be a utilitarian statement about what you do. Other times I've seen people try to entice me with a snappy tagline or headline. And then below that, I again find a lot of things going on sometimes i see three paragraphs of text and sometimes i don't see much at all before i get to the tours what is your sort of reigning thoughts about that balance because i know seo also enters the picture in terms of how much you should be writing and how much of it should be utilitarian designed for google and how much of it should be
1: storytelling design for a human what what are, yeah. what are your thoughts so on the home page your goal um, even if you have SEO related goals, which is totally fine, your main focus should be the user, even still. So, um, on, on our homepage, you want people to spend the least amount of time possible. The homepage is a, is a switching page. It's a, it's your, what do they call it? Like when you call a call center, there's a switch, switch room or whatever. They, back in the day, there's someone who takes the call and distributes your call, whatever that's called. That's what your homepage is, right? Your homepage is not a place for people to linger. If people are lingering on your homepage, something's gone wrong. So um, you need a way to extremely quickly get them off your homepage, and below that, below that navigation, you can have all the text you want because no one's going to read it um, if your homepage is doing its job. Um, and people are only going to read it if they're really coming back; they're really having, maybe they're booking on behalf of the group. They're extremely thorough; they're reading every single word. But even those people, when they come to a website, they're getting they want to get off your homepage as quickly as possible. Now, when it comes to the tour and activity descriptions, you have to understand that people—the very first thing that has to happen is they have to understand whether it's worth actually their time in reading your full descriptions so they have a certain they have a lot of mental filters that have to run through before they even decide whether it's worth investing their time so uh, price obviously is one filter uh am i old enough or am would my kids be able to do this for example so mix minimum maximum ages days of the week that you run dates of the year if it's a multi-day tour uh, Maybe they have a very specific thing they're looking to do, so you need to have like a bullet point list of covering uh, the sites that will be seen on that tour of Paris. And once they, t- it's kind of like a Rubik's cube, it's kind of snapping, 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 and good, cool, good, it all fits. Then they're going to start investing time and in, in okay, I, I'm starting to deep dive now. I'm starting to read the description. I'm starting to go through the FAQs. But you have to basically take people on that on that journey and understanding that that's that filtering. That's psychologically what's actually happening. So um, that's probably the, the the biggest thing about writing. The second big thing I would say about writing is um, flowery adjectives are a huge no. So um, when people when people are trying to make a destination sound magical, they'll just be like, "Oh, if you you walk the magical sort of Marrakesh, and you'll have the aromas wafting into your nose, and the scrumptious this and that." That can actually be a good idea, occasionally, if it's not overplayed. If you if you if you're dropping it every sentence, by the fourth sentence, people are their eyes are glazing over. You have to be really really cautious in how you promote a trip, and focus on using um, simple language, but using verbs to really um, paint the scene, as opposed to using um, flowery adjectives, which which just turn people off um, and cause people's eyes to glaze over. So those are, those are two points about writing. And there's one third point I'll add, and that is you should pay attention to every single question that comes through your website or through your phone because um, that's an opportunity to edit your copy and uh, answer those questions. And so you might say, well, people don't read all that text Yeah, no, Fine, but what if someone hits the bottom and they still don't have all their questions answered? What are you going to say to that person? So if someone doesn't want to read all the text, that can be a decision. But if someone's reading all, they've read all the text and they still don't have their questions answered, That's not good. You need to, you need to answer every question they have. And if people want to skip past it, that's fine. That's fantastic advice. If you're an
0: operator who doesn't yet have the money to hire a full-time designer, where should they begin? In other words, they want to get up and going, but they don't have the X number of thousands of dollars or whatever it might cost, even though they understand that it's a good investment, do you have any advice for the road they they should go
1: down in the interim, uh, yeah, even even uh, Tourism Tiger will redirect people sometimes who are new to the business. And if someone, if someone doesn't have the budget, there's definitely solutions. I don't know if Chris obviously, Tori still has his free website thing going, um, but uh, he will if we force him to <laughs> from this. <laughs> so uh, I would say Fiverr and Upwork. Uh, after work, you can definitely uh, you can definitely get some decent get some um, decent work done. I would say two tips: um, don't overcomplicate it. Keep a really simple website. Third, the second thing is focus on what you can control, and what you can control is the words on the page. You don't have to pay any designer to create the words. If you just spend a, a bit of time, because most operators won't go through Viator. There's just many many rubbish listings on there. Um, but the operators who win are consistently the ones that mm. put that little bit of extra touch and unpolished because there's one thing that I, I was just about to say there's one thing I consistently say. There are a lot of things that I consistently say, but, uh, one thing I do say is that people's you, you feel passionate about the guest experience. Does that start at the moment they say hello to you in a city or does that start the moment they first interact with your business? And the, so if the first time they interact with your business is a Facebook ad, how can that Facebook ad be the best experience for them, et cetera. So every, every aspect of the journey is crafted with the most love possible that will come through and that will uh, build people's confidence and make it much more like that book, regardless of how much money you spent on your design. Are there any books or websites,
0: since we're talking about copywriting that have been good resources for you or did you sort of just learn through the constant understanding of looking at the variety of ways
1: in which people are describing their tours my favorite resource outside the industry is called Mm -hmm. copyhackers.com so that's a website that has a lot of resources about copywriting uh, some incredible tips about copywriting Uh, I I would have to point out uh that they're at Tourism Tiger, I mean, I have to, but like it's the resource I'm most familiar with. Um, Tourism Tiger blog, um, especially a lot of the older posts, has a lot of, um, a lot of information about uh, copywriting when it comes to tours and activities. Uh, and those are the two primary resources that that, that come to mind, actually.
0: it's great. Let's switch to the day tour world and your Experience working with one of the major reservation technology companies. Yep. What what are, what are your thoughts about the obsession that so many operators have with booking software? Is it is it and and maybe our industry in general? There's a lot of questions that come through the tourpreneur Facebook group on a daily basis. What booking software should I use? And and do you have do you have any words of wisdom to how an operator begin to make that decision for their for their business?
1: Yeah, the first thing I would say is come back to what I said two answers ago, which is how can every single step of the customer journey be the absolute best step that they could possibly take. So, um, if you're going to pick a booking software, before you talk to any customer, before you talk to anyone, what you need to do is visit tour operator websites and make bookings yourself. Go through the process. So at Tourism Dagger, this is what we did. I got every single one of my team one of my team members, I sent them all four websites that had four of the major booking software companies, and I told them all to uh, all to go through the booking process of each one and take notes about which one they thought was best, right? Which one would they want to go through as a customer? And I can tell you, there was a very wide difference in experiences just between those four booking softwares. And uh, I don't know who's your sponsor and who's not your sponsor, so I might have to be careful in what I say. But um, I was no sponsors. <laughs> that's true <laughs> I've heard that from people who want to be your sponsor and are very frustrated they can't do it um, so... isn't that good marketing you keep them you keep them watching for a while <laughs> while we focus on the customer I've actually got a couple of these messages <laughs> hey Matt do you know anyone like is there a way you can help we really want to sponsor but we're not hearing anything back <laughs> um, so uh, oh, that's what I would say that is far and away the biggest principle is in in as a customer right and there is a very famous booking software customer right sorry very very famous booking um, software company who i'm kind of well known for kind of not being their favorite person um uh, for like I, I always i've never really liked them from day one but uh, i can tell you that every time every single time i've booked a tour and i've hit this company's software installed i just groan like i got asked to fill out my personal details three separate. last time i went on a tour on, a, on an activity was in in queensland I booked a, a, a yachting, like a, one of those yacht tour things. It asked me to fill out my details three times during the booking process. And I emailed that company and I said, what are you guys doing? This is ridiculous. Have you guys tried to go through this process yourself? This is so su- because I'm very passionate about this. And, I, and I'm like, this is so disrespectful to your guests and make them, every single one of them have to input their details three times. And they said, well, this is the only company that works up here. I'm like, come on, dude. ResD works in Northern Queensland. Zero work. No, um, Zola works in Northern Queensland. There's tons of companies that work in Northern Queensland. So just because a company comes along and offers you a free website, that shouldn't be the thing that's on your mind. Your thing that should be on, that should always be on your mind, is the experience of the guest from the very first step to the very end, where you're doing your review follow-ups. How can I make this the best experience possible? And that's the, far and away the number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven thing, top seven priorities when it comes to booking software. There you go. That's my red.
0: I love it. I love it. There's going to be people feverishly searching you online in the group. The discover. <laughs> all the What's the detail. company? What's the yeah. company? What hey, is it? What is it? You know, you're talking about experience and remembering that ultimately as a customer, they don't know any better uh, in terms of this great debate over booking software or the great debate over OTAs, I will say I had a very similar experience to you. I traveled around Europe for a couple of months, work, mm-hmm. pleasure. I took dozens and dozens of tours. And what blew me away was even companies that were enormous, multinational corporations. I couldn't figure out if there was a tour for me that afternoon without, Crazy, huh? without three to 12 clicks into their product pages. And you know where I could do that on Viator. I could go to yeah. Viator, I could click, I need an evening tour tomorrow. I could filter by day of uh, the, uh, or was it get your guide? I can't remember one of the, two I could filter <laughs> by, by time of day and yeah. by date. And then, yeah. and then suddenly I could find the Coliseum tour in the evening. That was still, that was available for me to fill in that night. Yeah. And, and yeah, my, I, uh,
1: yeah, my, uh, my honeymoon of Europe was a very silly experience. It was so frustrating but sorry. No, it's, it's, it it was
0: similar for me. I was in Naples, Italy, and I was booking a private guided tour for my husband and myself of Herculaneum. And, uh, this was very shortly after the new EU law where you had to have the tour operator name right there in the, uh, right there in the title. And so I could easily go direct and check out that direct website. And it was impenetrable they were completely connected with all of their availability through the OTA but their homepage I had no idea what I was supposed to click on and then I finally got to tours of the region and I could find the tour and then I had to send them an, I had to send them an email in order to book it and and so you know there's this is a big daily discussion in tourpreneur focused on on a lot of heated opinions about these marketplaces. But ultimately, if they're providing a better customer experience, you can't blame the customer. And it does mean there are lessons to be learned for operators that want to
1: compete with them. Right, Um, when it comes to marketplaces, it doesn't matter if it's touring activities or any other marketplace, it's always easier to recruit the people to make the money, who want to make money, than it is to recruit the people who want to spend the money. And that's why all these guys don't really give that much good service to tour activity operators because there's always going to be someone willing to take a buck. To rec- to get the customer is is the hard part. So uh, and I know this has been a big theme. This is something that Peter Slime talks about a lot. But uh, if you're going to do your own marketing, you're effectively competing with the OTAs, and there are and you're shipping a pretty big percentage. But the uh, the OTAs. professional marketing teams and so for a lot of people it actually makes sense to just distribute through a ton of OTAs and focus on just delivering an amazing experience Um, I think for some people it's something they should resist a bit less as a concept it just depends a lot on the business if you're going to do and and you just need to understand if you if you're going to do your own marketing and your own website yeah you have to focus on how can I out execute these guys and that's that's a very hard question that's a very hard thing to do in 2022
0: it's very easy to just say, focus on getting direct bookings. And to my knowledge, it is very difficult to crack. There has been no magic bullet that fits all the different sizes and shapes and kinds right. of markets that there are out there. Yeah,
1: I would say it's getting um, a lot harder. It's getting a lot harder uh, every year to, to do direct bookings, especially as a day tour and activity operator. So, uh, you know, th- don't forget there's competing with, it, with OTAs, but there's also competing within OTAs. As well, um, figuring out how to become the uh, a choice provider and how to rise up to their own rankings in terms of how they distribute uh, trips and how they rank search results. That's something a lot of tour and tip operators are, are not focusing on. So uh, there's that. And then there's also starting to I think uh, I think some people are starting to think about what what are the what did the world look like pre-internet. People figured out how to sell tours and activities back then, so there are still offline, um, offline sales mechanisms that work. Um, especially given that, especially given that a lot more bookings, a very high percentage, happen in destination when when it comes to day tour and activity operators. But yeah, it's a hard game. It's a very hard game to play if you don't want to play with the OTAs. I would say that's part of the reason why I personally, I uh, if I was a day tour and activity operator, I'd look for as many opportunities as I can to sell to locals as well and that's something with Peter Slimes rafting I think he pretty much exclusively sold to to locals in the end but if you can figure out some sort of way to sell to corporates to sell to bachelors and hens parties all those things that will that will help because OTA OTA bookings close to exclusively come from out of towners so if you can figure out how to balance off against that using, using locals that's one way but yeah it's hard that's that's great advice. It is hard. One of the
0: things that I would add to that list too is thinking about multi-day multi-day tours as well. There seems to be this yeah. very big divide between a day tour operator and a multi-day tour operator, almost as yeah. if they're philosophically different categories <laughs> that you can't jump between. And yet it's good business to sort of have a hedge against one working, one market working, one kind of customer working in another. And While there is a lot of work that goes into operating a multi-day tour, there's also margins that blow the minds sometimes of day tour operators that are stuck in uh, narrowing and narrowing uh, 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 uh,
1: passages of profitability in their their business. For sure. So um, I've said a lot of stuff in this, like the average person, I, I feel like I'm giving away a lot of the secrets so far. Right, um, but yeah, to have another Daga, drink, it's evening there. <laughs> <laughs> Spill it <on. laughs> Um So uh, at Tourism Tiger I spoke to probably a two two hundred two maybe three hundred operators a year, something like that. Like a lot of operators a year, and I can tell you, the people with the smiles on their faces, the people who are less stressed, it's the multi day. Um, the the people yeah like i know there's there's going to be a million exceptions right but if you're talking about people who do it full time cuz there's not a lot there are a lot of day to and activity operators especially who do it as part time like a side hustle maybe they have something else going on in their life but in general and this this held very consistently as well very consistently uh the people who were able to figure out how to make their businesses work for them from a, both a lifestyle and From the ability to just pay for a lifestyle perspective, we're multi-day. When you're looking at
0: your wife creating experiences, your experience of experiences as a marketer, sometimes I think you and you're a fantastic marketer, you're in touch with humans and their emotions. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the very basics of a guest experience of creating a tour experience that delights your guest, that continues that story that you started with effective marketing. And as you sort of watched, uh, you know, tour companies be born through Tourism Tiger, if you've learned any lessons just about
1: tour design itself or experience design. Yeah. That was one thing I didn't expect I was going to learn much about I I just never thought about it with Tourism Tiger. I, I thought I was coming as the expert, but I actually learned so much from our clients. Especially when you're having to rewrite their itineraries for them to make the copy good, you learn a lot about designing a good experience. And uh, and I'll share a couple of innings. Um, the first one is if you think about a trip, you've got you've got wiggle uh, and touch points. So a touch point is every single interaction with something that you, a decision that you've made, right? So it's the the way your sign is printed off when someone hits the airport. It's the hotels you choose, the exact food choices you make. The more love that goes into every single one of those t- those choices, the better experience overall you're going to have. And that's one. That, and that's one. That's one big differentiator between the generic operator and uh, a smaller operator who's who does really well is how well each touch point is really considered and thoroughly considered. Uh, the second the second thing is um, energy flows um, through a trip. So um, not too long ago, someone showed me an itinerary that they put together, and. They had a rest morning on day two of the trip. I'm like, dude, why are you doing this? This is when people have the highest levels of energy during your trip. Why are you giving them a break? And <laughs> he's like, I don't know. It's just <laughs> didn't really have an answer. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So what you need to be thinking about is, okay, um, on a long trip, you're gonna have ebbs and flows. So you need to build that into the trip. Basically, um, have if you're gonna have. Uh, a trip where there's going to be multi-day stays in cities and single-day stays in cities you want to basically back end the multi-day stuff and front end the single day stuff so people have more energy for the moving around they gradually just run out of energy or run out of that kind of they they start to they start to want to not to have to pack their bag again that sort of thing right Mm -hmm. so uh so thinking about energy energy management and so okay They've had two really full days here, so let's give them a really slow morning and then and then add something in the evening. Or if you've got like a really big evening experience that is coming up the next day, then give them a slower morning, all that sort of stuff. Just make sure that, that they do have the time every few days to really breathe and recuperate and have like a lower energy experience um, before they keep on going. So... So those are the two big things. Um, and the third th- tip I would give, if you're designing a multi-day experience, would be um, to make sure there's some major climax that the trip is building towards. Like, if there's a big highlight on the trip, don't put it at the start. Right? Um, if you know, if you're doing a winery tour of France, don't put the biggest and best winery or or the or the magical one. Maybe you've got like a secret magical one. Don't put it on day two. <laughs> Everything's just gonna, nothing's gonna live up to that put the really really special thing towards the end that everyone's really come for and they'll anticipate it throughout the trip and your climax on that note and then you wind down the trip so those are those are the three three tips that come to mind those are brilliant if i could have paid you to say that i would have because <laughs> that that's that's
0: part of continuing to think from your customer's point of view and in tech, sometimes it's called human centered design. That's a revolutionary <laughs> idea that right. we should be designing an app yeah. for the experience and not solve our tech yeah. problems. Yeah.
1: I- IT companies are like, Oh my god, we made a discovery and like what? There are human beings. <laughs> they use our technology and be like, What the fuck? <laughs> Actually a bit of French, you're gonna have to edit that out. But um but no you're you're right. Like, um every The reason company, the biggest reason companies fail in my opinion is because they put something else at the center that is not the customer, the customer has to be the center. And so if you have to lump it with some inconvenient systems on your side in order to make the customer experience better, or in the end, you'll be the winner. You have introduced us to a lot of fantastic theories and
0: ideas, and we began this with specifically keeping track of a customer as they make those touch points across their interactions with you on the web through email. Do you advocate for any types of back end systems, uh, that you think operators should be using to try to keep their customer journey organized? Do you use CRMs? Is it just all on Google? What does that look like for you? What do you recommend? I, it's.
1: There are a lot of people who have tried to create these systems tour operators, but it's just doesn't uh, work very well. Um, a system like PicoZola. If you're a day two activity operator, they do handle a lot of that stuff pretty well. Once someone's booked, so you can set up a really custom sequence of emails. So you can you can connect all the major tools to Zapier, for example, and and hook and hook that through to you know, text message services or whatever email service that you use. Um, I in my book, I recommend rec- this. I think I wrote this book about eight years ago. I recommended Active Campaign as as an email um, marketing automation tool. It's actually still the one that I recommend even today, and I've tried a lot. That's uh, what I personally use. It yeah, is not perfect, but it's yeah. incredibly powerful. Yeah, the ability to set um, conditions and say, "Look, we sent out this newsletter. I'm only going to email people who clicked one of the links in the newsletter," so that you don't feel like you're annoying the other people who who didn't really engage. So, um, using Tailoring or Active Campaign to make sure that. You're not just sending every email to every person. You can make it so it's activity based, and so that if someone shows an interest in this tour, they go into a bit of a sequence to see it, to receive a couple of extra emails about that particular tour. It's a really cool system. Um, yeah. So, uh, but that's just the emails. There's there's no there's just no perfect system I've found when it comes to stitching every single aspect of a journey together. So, uh, like the people have tried to create tools when it comes to managing the email sequence and the facebook ad sequence in the same place i haven't found any of those tools to work particularly well so personally i would just be in facebook creating sequences there in active campaign creating sequences and maybe using a spreadsheet just to make sure i've got all my eggs in a row like i think just mapping it out and then checking it as i've created it but yeah there's no there's there's uh there's there is a bit of wrapping your head around the tools. Like you, you probably understand this. Like active campaign it, it's a bit of a learning curve, especially if you're you've never set up an email marketing program before. And Facebook itself is a is a monster for people who are relatively new to marketing. Like the paid ads platform is pretty tricky. But um, but uh, this is the thing: if you're going to either you can let other people market for you, your OTAs or your agencies. But if you want to do your own marketing, you have to have a you have to either embrace it or just not do it, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, one
0: of the things that I personally do like about Active Campaign is that it has more robust sort of customer management features than a lot of the other email programs like a MailerLite or, which is fantastic. We use that for the True Entrepreneur Digest because we don't do a lot of interacting with that audience, but the minute it becomes a customer or a potential lead, then you want sales tracking. You want to know where they're kind of at in their, in their in their engagement with you. And my favorite thing that I discovered over the years was the WordPress plugin, WP Fusion, because it meant that their behavior on my website could then be tracked and I could retarget them through that connector from my website to... Uh, uh, they visit a blog three times. Uh, well, I can send them an email that's been automated to send to them two days later about the topic of that blog that leads them into a into a sales funnel.
1: Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, what 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 are you selling in this case?
0: A multi-day tour, let's say. Let's say they're engaging with your content on right. uh, uh, on your website, but okay. not yet your tours. And they're uh, they're they're very interest they're very interested in your blog post about the
1: whiskey trail of <laughs> Scotland. But yeah, okay, and they're already subscribed so... I'll... Um, yeah, so, so yeah, the all, lead, all, lead magnet, the lead magnet. Yeah, so these, these, setting up these automations, um, you know, when, when Rebecca first started Patch Adventures, I had a bit of free time and I went mental. I, I like, before we did the first ads, I set up the most crazy automations and this and that. And then um, the bookings just flowed in so easily because the retargeting sequence was really good, the organic social was good, the, the materials were really well designed. I felt a bit like, uh, Like, um, I created this like mega Frankenstein, you know, email tagging, segmenting, like monster, right. And it wasn't even relevant because this is what I was saying before. If you get all the other steps right, then, um, then, then hopefully, uh, you don't need to go to the nth level when it comes to customization of your, uh, of your, your email funnels. So okay. um, slightly contrarian I know that like uh, it's nice to it's nice to talk about how to optimize every single thing, but like if if your value if your value prop is on point, your value proposition is on point for your tour, that's the main thing. And then all your other marketing around that should be easier. I, I don't think it's contrarian. I think it's if anything,
0: it, it feels like a, a breath of fresh air to people that think everything needs to be automated or optimized or figured out. But your premise is still very, very important, which is you have a great product and you know how to write and connect with that customer in a really uh, authentic, uh, uh, in, inspirational way at the beginning right.
1: of that journey. Yeah, but even... Even and this has come back to re-emphasize the product. Like we've we've taken tours for one destination and a different destination, given them the exact same amount of love in the marketing, and one of them sells out straight away, the other one doesn't sell at all. So it's the <laughs> the the product is is really the core of it, and the marketing is just kind of the gift wrapping.
0: I love that. Let's let's go back uh, to wrap up to your beloved Australia. You're a lifelong Australian. I spent five years living overseas, but yeah, more or less. Everyone knows Sydney, Melbourne. They know the big cities. Maybe they know the Gold Coast. I'm wondering if there are regions or aspects of Australia that the outsider doesn't doesn't know exists. Do you have hidden gems? Uh, what are your favorite parts of Australia?
1: Hmm. So I have a similar experience with the United States. It's such a big country that you kind of lose. You forget that there's so much going on. But uh, one area of Australia that has become extremely popular with Australians that I don't know how well known it is overseas this is the north, northwestern area of Australia. So that's the most famous part. It's called the Kimberleys. But it's kind of like this desert with incredible canyons and rock formations. But you're in the middle of nowhere and you're able to swim in these, these rivers and have this like, really magical desert experience. And that's become extremely popular. Um, and Melbourne... Melbourne, it's funny. You mentioned Melbourne as being so famous and stuff like that, but very few people make it to Melbourne on their first trip to Australia. They deprioritize it. They think they have to, they, they, it's the Sydney, the reef, and the rock. Those are the famous three. So Sydney, Great Barrier Reef, and, and all the route. Um, but Melbourne, it's pretty common. If someone's been to Australia and they've been to Melbourne, It's they generally, generally will say that Melbourne was their favorite place um, in terms of their favorite city. So if you're going to come to Australia, pay a visit. I'll uh, I'll I'll show you around. I'll do it for free as well. I'll show you my favorite I'm so passionate about Melbourne. I'll show you my i fa- will I'll I'll become a tour guide for a day. I'll show Brilliant. you food sports. Yeah. You heard it tourpreneurs. Just in order to get this fantastic yeah.
0: marketing advice, all you have to do is pretend to be interested in Melbourne and then you can ask snap <laughs> all day long.
1: All you have to all day <laughs> to- yeah. <laughs> People will do um, it. Sometimes. if they do, I'll I'll drown you in marketing advice. I'll 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 do that, no no dramas.
0: What has been the, uh, experience of the Australian operator, the ones that you've been in touch with sort of over these past very few, uh, very
1: difficult years, uh, uh of the pandemic? Um, it's hard, it's hard to really communicate. Um, so international travel operators, like Australian outbound multi-days, they're the first things to close, the last things to open. So two and a half years between tours. Think about that. Um, for local tour activity operators, the depends which state. So some states, completely unaffected, pretty much. Just kept able to continue un- un- uninterrupted if they didn't have any international as part of their guest mix. But for Melbourne particularly, it was really, really hard. It was really hard. But um, lots of good people have stayed around. They're sticking through and they're keeping their businesses running. So um, to all those people who stayed, if you're listening, good on you we've done it we made it now it's time to build and and turn and uh and and uh and come out the other side and and put that in the past
0: final question for all of our operators who are trying to connect with an australian audience on a marketing level do you have any advice for marketing to australia to australians uh Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, um, so it's funny that you've got this, you've got this pre-COVID Australian multi-day adventure traveler, but because we, we're so late in the curve with our COVID waves compared to other countries, like I went to Europe and it was like COVID never happened and I couldn't believe it. Come back to Australia and people are like, oh, what about COVID? I'm like, mate, no one's even heard of COVID in Europe. It's like it's never happened. It was crazy. So, um marketing to Australians yeah obviously extremely adventurous open minded um, people but uh, it's, you have to think about um, three things effectively firstly make sure your product is I, I always go to the three things I think I was going to say you are such yeah. a brilliant marketer because seen, <laughs> you still it down to the three <laughs> maybe it's just my mind is not capable of anything more I, I'm a simpleton I can carry three things at once. Um, so, uh, but I was thinking about this earlier today and I did come back to three things. So here we go. Um, the first thing is obviously making sure your product is polished. Uh, number two is un- understanding people's anxieties and addressing those anxieties. When it comes to how are you managing COVID, how are you managing this and that, um, it's it's important when it comes to marketing anyway. But I the experience right now in marketing to Australians is that that is extremely critical when it comes to marketing, especially to 50 plus um, demographics. Um, and, the, and the third thing is coming back to um, friction, right? And in, inertia. So um, trying to create, you really have to do lean in a bit harder to creating a sense of FOMO that other people are going, these trips are selling, right? There's spots this are going. So maybe even getting a little bit more pushy than you would normally, actually, um, when it comes to maybe social media retargeting. Um, and your socials in general, um, I think the average person needs to understand that you only got so many years of your life that are left in your travel bank. If every single year you don't travel is gone, you'll never get that back. So um, saying that directly to people, you just get the barriers up. But if they get the feeling that everyone else is traveling and they're missing out, then that's an effective way to to sell that same message without feeling like a hectoring, sermoner, sermonizing lecturer. So... There's a, there are three tips.
0: Matt, that's brilliant. You've successfully made me want to end this interview so I could go book a trip to Australia and especially to the Kimbrillies. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks,
1: Mitch.